All right, boys, the hot stove heating up here. We got some actions, Cubs making moves. We're going to start with that tonight. Other smorgasbord of details regarding the Chicago Cubs right now in Wrigley Field. We will take a look at all the award finalists, award winners, and we got some crow to eat tonight as we look back on our preseason predictions. Guys, we thought would be the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, and boy, did we get it wrong for the most part. So we'll have some fun with that tonight, uh, but it's good to see you both here. We are recording this the night of November 17th, and the Cubs have made a move here. The last time that we did this show, we were speculating what's the first thing the Cubs are going to do. Who had Miles Mastroboni in the mix here as the first thing the Cubs were going to do, acquiring him from Tampa Bay? I did not have Miles Mastroboni in the mix. It's great, it's great alliteration, but uh, he was not in my mix. Sounds like a uh, a pasta dish you get somewhere. It does. Get you, new... Go to go to Rizzo's and get yourself a nice big bowl of some some mastroboni with meat sauce. Uh, he is an infielder. He's an outfielder. Plays a little bit of everything. Uh, not much time in the major leagues last year, but Jeremy showed some power in the AAA affiliate for Tampa Bay. It cost the Cubs here a single A pitcher, so not a huge deposit in terms of talent. And now you got a guy here with David Bodie with Zach McKinstry in the mix. Where does Miles Mastroboni fit in here with the Cubs next year? Yeah, it's an interesting um, kind of move. I think the Cubs made, you know, to go out and get an infielder. You know, the Cubs have had success, you know, with uh, those Italian infielders. Uh, they, I remember when they went out kind of in a similar situation. They got Tommy Listella right before, I think, was it twenty fifteen? Uh, about uh, one forty men. The Braves couldn't fit him on their roster. And so, yeah, he's also had pretty good on base percentages. Like he's been a guy who's been able to get on base, plays a lot of positions, probably doesn't play any of them very well, or like above average, but he can play in a lot of different spots. I think, you know, it's interesting that they made this move after they acquired Zach McKinstry last year, who you would kind of expect to be kind of a part of the future because they it was part of, you know, a deadline day deal to get Zach McKinstry. So I think since he has three options, I'm kind of expecting him to start in the the year uh, in Iowa. Um, since he has the ability to go down there, not really, but he seems like a guy who can come up, contribute off the bench and play a bunch of positions. And he's an interesting guy to have in the system. And, you know, Tampa Bay's had so many guys they had to get rid of because yeah. they just have so much talent. So, you know, if you're kind of taking Tampa's cast offs, like there's still talent there. Yeah. Uh, Master Boney has the interesting ability to play a little more outfield than Zach McKinstry and more outfield period than David Bodie. But the Cubs are definitely set at this kind of Jack of all trades, master of none position between McKinstry, between Bodie, between Master Boney. And Jeremy, you said it, he has options left. He's probably ticketed to start the season at Iowa, but it's decent insurance to have on your roster. Injuries do happen. Guys come out of spring break with a hamstring issue or an arm issue, going to keep them off the roster. It's it's decent insurance to have. And like you said, it you gave up absolutely nothing to get him. You gave up a, an A-ball reliever who is old for the level. And, you know, if, if you think there's something in there that's worthwhile, you might as well make that move and, and make your roster a little stronger at the fringes. Yeah, he doesn't really hit the ball hard. Like, he's not – I mean, he, as you said, he did show a little bit of power last year at AAA, but he's not a guy who, like, really cranks the ball uh, pretty hard. But, like, he, he has, like – pretty big on base percentage. Like that's the thing that interests me. Like he has, you know, he's a career 370 pretty much on base in the minor leagues. I think that's pretty solid. If you could, you know, play a bunch of different positions, show some power, show some pop at certain opportunities. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to compare him to Ben Zobrist, obviously, because that's just like a special player, you know, switch hitter. But like, if you can kind of come out of here with like a poor man's kind of version of Ben Zobrist, I think that's kind of an interesting piece to add to next year's team. Yeah. 
But I, I do think there is some interesting there with the power. The guy had never hit more than five home runs with a minor league team in a single season. Last year, 16 home runs, 32 doubles. And he can play multiple positions and options. It's, it's wonderful. I think this is a great move for the Cubs. Um, they made some moves with the 40-man. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is a very low-risk, potential high-upside move here, and it's important depth. I just prefer a guy like this, honestly, over David Bodie, over Zach McKinstry. I think this is a better option for the Cubs as somebody who can come up and help the team. And while we won't see him likely break camp with the team, as you're saying, Jeremy, he's going to be up next year. He's going to play some games for the Cubs, and I think he's going to contribute. And not only that, he holds the distinction of being the first player in Tampa Bay Rays history to do something. And that, of course, is where number 78. He made his major league debut late last season. The Rays assigned him number 78, the first wearer of that number in Tampa Bay Rays history. So he can always say that. He can always say that he was the first number 78 in the long, illustrious, storied history of the Tampa Bay MLB franchise. Yeah, Randall's, you know, he's got the numbers. He He's the numbers guy here. Keep us up to date with that. Um, as, and I think it's interesting, Master Boney, he's kind of different, I would guess, than David Bodie, because Bodie kind of being the guy that maybe doesn't fit all the different places in the out, or excuse me, in the, in on the field and doesn't play the outfield, obviously, but, you know, probably hits the ball a little bit harder, though. That doesn't, hasn't always translated into success at the big league level. Like, that's something that I've always been kind of excited about David Bodie, is he hits the ball so hard, but it hasn't always translated and i still expect david bowie to be back next year because i just can't imagine him foregoing that contract like he's not going to give up that contract and be a free agent um because he's probably not going to get that deal so he'll probably they'll probably both start in iowa next year yeah exactly i think bodie will be in the cubs organization he's just going to be in des moines and for me you know the ship has sailed on david bodie like i i wanted it to work for him i don't think it's going to work out in chicago and the sad thing with it is he hasn't been healthy that's been a big part of the problem for him and he's had like fluke injuries that injury on the south side where he slipped on a ball that was hidden in an ad on the side of the field and you know messed up his body it's disappointing but i like the cubs are making moves because i'm i'm expecting nothing out of david bodie if he wants to surprise me great but i think that ship has sailed yeah he's gotten a lot of chances and you know the game we were at he Busted up that shoulder on the base yeah. pass, kind of a Mark Pryor situation. Um, also kind of fluke injuries. But, yeah, I just think that, you know, I, I like having depth. Like, I've always talked about, you know, being a guy who likes, you know, getting marginal value. So I always like having the more depth you could possibly have, the more guys you can throw into the mix. I always like having more of it. And so, and I think that's why Tampa's been so successful for a long period of time because they, they don't have room for so many guys. And I, I like the idea of the Cubs, like, you know, kind of taking some of those guys, taking building and trying to get to that position where it's like, okay, well, maybe at some point we won't have room for guys and we'll have to try to figure out ways yeah. to get everybody we want on our 40 man. Randall, you uh, optimistic or pessimistic about David Bodie these days? Pessimistic. You know, Jeremy, I know, has always been a big fan of Bodie because he, he hits the ball hard, and that's fine. I think he's had a lot of chances. I think he's gotten a lot of stretches where he's gotten those everyday starts. He's gotten those everyday starter plate appearances, and it's just never completely translated. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to badmouth Bodie here. I think he's a capable ball player. I'm just never expecting him to break out 
and be that everyday player that I think the Cubs hoped he would become at one position or another. I think he's a perfectly fine utility man. He's got a little bit of power. Like Jeremy said, he hits the ball hard. He's got that exit velocity that we all love. But I just think he's one of those players who is forever going to get exposed if you start him for an elongated period of time. And and that's fine. You, you know, there are a lot of players who have had very productive careers, but haven't necessarily been everyday starters. And I just think it's time to start counting on David Bodie to not be that everyday starter. Well, I, I me personally, I just want to say I, I never counted on. I mean, I've always hoped everybody would blossom into something, but I've always just thought of him as like a guy who would come in and fill spots and hit the ball hard. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he kind of has done that. But I am excited. I'm not excited is the wrong word. I, I do think he'll be in the system next year. And so maybe, you know, starting off in Iowa, maybe that can kind of jumpstart something next year. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if he can push his way back. But I, I agree with you. He's gotten a ton of chances and he's never quite shown the ability to where he could take full advantage of that. And obviously he's been paid. He's going to continue yeah. to get paid. But the guy's got pride, man. He's a ball player. He's been a ball player his whole life. He's playing for everything next year. And that's good. You want guys going into spring training and maybe opening the season in the minor leagues with that incentive to get things back up and going at the major league level. So we'll see what happens with him. A lot of eyes on him here in Colorado as well, growing up in Longmont. And uh, his dad, coach, uh, something that I remember Jeremy and I had a ball game a couple years ago. And folks behind us, not a big fan of the Bodies. So uh, interesting to get that dynamic when you're going out to a ballpark. Uh, Cubs make another 40-man roster moves. Currently sits at 39 as a couple of minor leaguers get the move up to the 40-man. Two outfielders, Kevin Alcantara, Brendan Davis. Those are names we're expecting big things from. But I want to start with the two pitchers here. Ben Brown, Ryan Jensen, a couple of right-handers. Randall, the Cubs prioritizing these guys and protecting them, moving them to the 40-man. Yeah, you know, I don't one of these weeks that I don't envy Jed Hoyer and his player development staff because you've got a lot of guys in the minor league system who could be attractive to other teams as rule five picks, and you can only protect so many of them. Uh, you know, Ben Brown's not necessarily a surprise. Uh, they, you know, he's one of your trade acquisitions, and you got him for maybe your best trade ship that you actually traded away um at the deadline last year. So you're you're not inclined to let another team snipe that guy away from you uh, and let him develop in their system. Uh, something that jumped out to me about Brennan Davis, and I was thinking about this the other day, it's certainly not a bad thing he's added to the 40-man roster, but a guy with that kind of, who had that kind of prospect pedigree at one point, you kind of hope that you never have to add him to the 40-man in the offseason because you hope he's able to play his way to the majors before he becomes Rule 5 eligible. And I think Davis was on track to do that before the back injury last year. But that's something that jumped out to me. It's like, I wonder if the Cubs hoped they would never have to add him to the 40-man roster in the offseason because they hoped he would have made his major league debut before that became necessary. Uh, for yeah, I, I, you know, I unfortunate how, how things have transpired for Brandon Davis, but yeah, it's obviously someone probably would take him if they left him exposed. Um, as for Ben Brown, you know, he's a guy who came over and he's kind of been, you know, uh, up and down a little bit, but he had some pretty good highs when he was pitching for in the Cubs system this year, and and he strikes out a ton of batters, yeah. lot, as you know, and I think he's a very he's tall, lanky. It was interesting the type of guys him Wesneski, the type of guys the Cubs kind of targeted, uh, to bring. Uh, over into the system and I think as you mentioned Ronan also uh, Ryan Jensen uh, getting picked up you know the Cubs first round pick a couple years ago kind of never really you know maybe blossom into a starter like they kind of hope but he's kind of a guy with a funky delivery and he throws really hard he, he can hit 100 miles an hour so an interesting arm to have 
in in the system. And uh, unfortunately, I am a little disappointed that our boy Cam Sanders didn't get picked because now he's left exposed. And I want yep. Cam Sanders to make it his way at Wrigley. So hopefully nobody takes him in the Rule 5 draft, but as a reliever who could throw touch 100, there's a chance somebody might want to see if they could stick him in the back of a bullpen. Well, so Jeremy, Cam Sanders does not get picked. I'll put two things you love together here. Maybe Cam Sanders will go the Randy Wells route where he gets taken in the Rule 5 and then returned to the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And then you can say that Randy and Sanders are forever linked in Cubs history uh, with the <laughs> same roster Randy journey. I Sanders. That is true. I, I hope – I mean, look, for Cam Sanders' sake, I hope he's in the major leagues next year, yes. wherever that ends up being. Cub fan, obviously want to see him at Wrigley Field. Uh, I do think you expose him. Someone's liable to take a good shot at him. But I am really excited about Ben Brown. You know, Randall, you're saying Cubs traded David Robertson for him, a guy who ended up pitching in the World Series this year. Jeremy, you're saying he's a big guy, six foot six. He's just a really interesting presence out there on the mound and crushing it with the strikeouts, like 13 or so per nine innings, something close to that. That's dominant type pitching. And Cubs had a lot of success turning these pitchers into strikeout machines at the major league level. That's a name. We're going to be seeing him at Wrigley Field next year. And I'm I'm going to continue my my theme here of adding the stuff that doesn't really matter, but it's fun anyway. According to the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, Kevin Alcantara's nickname is the Jaguar, and that's Mm. a major league ready nickname. So I can see why they added him. That is a cool nickname. And uh, just to go back to Pat Brown for a second, you know, just talking about seeing him next year, like he's also a guy that, you know, even if they call him up, like maybe they don't call him up to start initially. Maybe they call him up, bring him out of the bullpen. Like a guy who like those strikeout numbers are wicked. Like you imagine him coming out of the bullpen initially in his career. So like, I, I think there's a bunch of different ways next year. You could possibly see a guy like Ben Brown used uh, at the major league level. And obviously they'll start him off probably in Iowa as a starter, but you know, that those are like you could see a guy like that, you know, there's plenty of starters. Even even last year, Hayden Wesneski got his start in the bullpen with the Cubs before they moved him into the rotation. Uh, so plenty of starters have made their way coming up through a bullpen. And so you could see a guy like that, I think, yeah. uh, would could be wicked coming out of the bullpen. And, and late, hopefully, hopefully the Cubs are competing next year. Maybe that's a, a you know, a, a kind of an extra juice you get at the, towards the end of the year, a guy just coming out and throw it with wicked stuff coming out of the pen. And likewise with Ryan Jensen. Uh, again, drafted as a starter, but Jeremy, you made the point. He throws hard, lots of strikeouts. He's on the 40-man roster now, and it seems like the Cubs are moving towards being more willing to having him pitch out of the bullpen full-time if starting isn't working out. That's another guy that you can bring up because he's already on the 40-man roster. Put him in the bullpen, tell him he can empty the tank for an inning at a time, and you've got yourself another hard-throwing reliever. We've talked uh, until we're blue in the face, blue in the jersey, about how the Cubs have been lacking velocity and strikeouts for the last what half a decade and again we're seeing them move towards back towards velocity back towards strikeouts and brown and jensen are two more guys who are going to help push that needle in the other direction yeah i, I definitely think jensen's coming is a guy who is going to be pushed more towards the pen like he's if you ever watch him he's got such a funky delivery but like it comes out like 100 miles an hour i just see bullpen in his future i, I think his starting days might be kind of done yeah well, it's exciting. These guys are getting close, really close to Wrigley Field now. Saw some Cubs fans this week saying, why isn't Matt Mervis on the 40-man roster? Cubs don't need to do that. He is not Rule 5 draft eligible, so we'll find a way to get him on that 40-man 
after the season opens up. Maybe he'll break camp with the team and earn his spot on the 40-man roster. The Rule 5 draft coming up December 7th is part of the winter meetings, and it'll be an interesting day. So looking forward to conversations around that. We'll see what happens with some of these Cubs. Uh, how about this story from earlier in the week? Apparently, Kyle Hendricks is working a driveline-style off-season plan in an effort to boost his velocity. What, what should we be making of this? This seems like they're trying to get something lastly here out of Kyle Hendricks before he hangs it up. Honestly, this is the kind of thing that worries me a little bit. Kyle Hendricks, we know one of the kind of the smarter, more cerebral pitchers on the Cubs in the last while. It, I'm a little worried that one of his injuries from this past season is uh, the sort of thing that's going to be with him for the rest of his career. And he's doing this in part to try and find a way to kind of pitch around that injury, change his delivery. So it doesn't stress a certain part of his arm or his shoulder slightly as much. I'm a little worried about this. Kyle Hendricks is not going to find an extra three or four miles per hour uh, ever, much less at this point in his career. So I'm a little worried that he's there more to try and rework a delivery and try and pitch around an arm or a shoulder injury. That's not going to go away anytime soon. I don't know. Uh, it's unfortunate because Cal Hendricks has, you know, been kind of an important cog for the Cubs the last few years, but he enters next year. such a huge question mark. Big time. He hasn't had a lot of success over the last couple of years and now coming off the injuries and what have you. But I, his, I mean, one of his issues that he has had is the fact that his velocity has dipped. Like he's not at his, where he was in 2016, like 2016, he was throwing like 88 miles an hour. The last few years, he's been throwing like 85, 86. So like, it's really hard to be a successful major league pitcher and throw mid eighties. And so if he just knowing that, like, he's such a huge question mark, I don't know, like, I don't have a problem with him. Um, trying to get that extra velocity, but if he can get back to 87, 88, like he, he would be a completely different pitcher because, uh, those, those extra marks add a little bit, like every tick helps, especially at that end of the spectrum. So I don't know. I think he's such a huge question mark. Like I, I would be willing to take the risk of him trying to develop something new and, you know, driveline has been pretty successful and the Cubs kind of have a driveline type approach. They've hired guys from there, uh, Daniel, uh, what's uh, their assistant pitching coach, Daniel Mouskis. He came from driveline before he went to the Yankees. Um, that's where he learned to be. So like, it's not surprising to me that they would kind of take kind of that step for Kyle to try to build it back. You got to try something here because it isn't working. Jeremy, you're right. The velocity is down, but the control has gotten worse and worse. And that's a really bad combo for a guy who's not throwing the ball all that hard. Um, less velocity and more walks, things like that are going to lead to problems for you. So you got to try it. But I, I'm very worried about Kyle Hendricks and what he's going to add to the team next year. What also kind of pisses me off about what has happened with Kyle Hendricks these last couple of years, what a disaster when they had Alec Mills, Zach Davies, and Kyle Hendricks in the same starting rotation. Like, that's not going to work for Kyle Hendricks. We talked about that on this show. Kyle Hendricks might work in between two hard-throwing guys just to give a lineup a little bit of a different look. But when you got softy, softy, softy out there, bad combination, and it hasn't worked out for him. So at least next year, the Cubs do have a little bit more firepower. We expect them to add more to the starting rotation. That may have a positive effect on Kyle, but it seems like they're trying everything at this point because he is, to your point, Jeremy, a big, big question mark going into next year. And I don't want the Cubs counting on anything from him next year. Build this roster expecting nothing from Kyle Hendricks, and then let's be pleasantly surprised if he earns a spot and pitches well because it seems as if he's done. The good thing is the Cubs seemingly have a lot of kind of depth guys that can fit at the end of a rotation. You know, we talked about Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wesneski, a lot of guys, you know, you're three through five. They don't have a lot, 
top, you know, one, two guys, but guys that could fit like in a uh, three th- through five spot. So Kyle, it's not super important to get Kyle Hendricks back on, um, you know, in that spot if he, he doesn't succeed, but you know, it would be very nice. It would be a huge boon if you can get anything out of Kyle Hendricks next year. If he could be a reliable starter every fifth day, you know, not you're not expecting an ace. You're not expecting a 2.13 or whatever he had when he led the league in uh, ERA, I believe, in 2016. Like, that's probably not going to come back. But a guy who can get out there, compete, give you five, six innings every fifth day would be a huge bonus, I think, for the Cubs. Push everybody down, make everybody else's job easier. So hopefully, like, I'm not counting on it, like you said, Ronan, but hopefully you 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 – your goal is to build back to that. So hopefully Kyle and Kyle's a smart dude, as Randall said, like I don't think he's going to take unnecessary risks necessarily. Um, So I, I I trust Kyle and I think he knows kind of what he wants to do with his, his uh, mechanics, his throwing motion, the way he wants to pitch. So I I, I'm, I'm kind of excited. We'll see if it succeeds. It probably won't to be honest, but maybe there's some hope there. Yeah. Well, the last remaining member of the 2016 World Series team, of course, David Ross is back now in a manager role, but an important Cub in Cubs history. And trust me, I feel like crap saying I think he's done, right? I don't feel good about that. I hope he proves me wrong. He's proven so many people wrong to get to where he's at at this point in his career. It just seems like it's a bad combination of things. And uh, pretty cool, though, that the Cubs are trying something here, going to driveline and seeing if they can get some oomph back in that fastball for him. And Ronan, you asked me once some years ago, as Hendricks was on a downturn ahead of kind of recovering a little bit, you asked me, is Kyle Hendricks done in that way that you do, in that kind of clip tone that you do, that voice that you do? We all know it. Uh, And I said to you, if he is, he still had a great career. He still pitched one of the most important games in Cubs history. And we, we can't forget that. Even if Kyle Hendricks is done, cooked, finito, never to pitch effectively or at all again, he still got the win in a pennant clinching Cubs game, the the only pennant clinching Cubs game any of us have seen to date. Even if his career is over, he still had a legendary career as a Chicago Cub. He also pitched pretty well in Game Seven. Not he did. There. Yeah. So like he that did. was pretty good uh, too. But uh, you know, Rowan, you mentioned he's overcome doubters before. Like I, I admit, I was a doubter. I didn't think a guy coming in throwing 87, 88 miles an hour. I thought he'd get blown up. And most guys that do do that, you know, every once in a while you find the guy that's able to succeed and. Fortunately for the Cubs and for Kyle Hendricks, like he was proved to be that guy. He just had such pinpoint command, as you mentioned, Ronan, earlier today, that he's kind of lost that command a little bit. But he had that pinpoint command. And so and he and he's always kind of developed like he didn't have a curveball when he first came out. Then he developed a curveball and he has multiple changeups. He's always kind of gamed it and figured out a way to succeed. So, you know, I'm going to give Kyle Hendricks that chance. If if adding a couple ticks his velocities, he's able to do that. I do think it would be, make a big difference for him. I am a little worried about his shoulder and his injury issues. Um, just not being able to get back out there. But Kyle Hendricks, I would give him every shot he can to come back out there and be a successful major league pitcher. And that injury thing's annoying because mostly in his career, he has been healthy. Had a little bit of an injury, if you remember, in 2017. Other than that, he's made at least 30 starts five different times in his career. And there was the pandemic season where he made 12 starts that year. If you play a full season, maybe he gets to 30 there as well. So disappointing last year, just 16 starts, but he's working it this offseason. And anything from him next year will be a huge boost for the Chicago Cubs and we're pulling for him because he's the man. He's always going to be the man. And he's had an awesome, awesome time here in Chicago represented the organization very well too. He's never been a guy. Anybody has had a problem with any issues off the field. You want guys like Kyle Hendricks on your team and let's hope he can figure it out. Maybe someday he'll be a pitching coach in major league baseball. Maybe he'll go that route. 
spiciest thing he ever did was have root beer instead of warm milk one night. Oh, wow. Man, Randall. Uh, let's talk about Randall offense knows. here. Uh, talk about firepower and all that good stuff. Shortstops are the headliners here in this free agent class. There's four big-time names. Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, Trey Turner rather, and Dansby Swanson. So these are the four names here. I got two questions for you. I want to make sure that we separate them. Who do you want and who do you think the Cubs will get? Those are not necessarily the same thing here. Randall, Cubs want to be in on one of these big-time shortstops. Who do you think the Cubs will sign? My answer is actually the same. The want and the get, it's Carlos Correa for both for me. Uh, I think he's the best. I think he's the best all-around hitter. Yeah, I think he's the best all-around hitter, maybe tied with Bogertz. But you think he's got more power than Trey Turner. I think he's a better hitter than Dansby Swanson, who has had two pretty good years after a lot of years that were just kind of mediocre or I guess up slightly above average. But most of all, I think Correa's defense will translate best to third base down the line if you do have to move him that way. Now, I think Bogertz will too. I don't think Turner would translate particularly well as a, a third baseman. I don't think Swanson would translate particularly well as a third baseman. I think Correa is either the best or the second best all-around hitter, and I think he's got the glove and the arm that will best translate to third base if you do have to move him down the line. He's my want, and he's my, I think the Cubs will get. I think Jed is zeroed in on his guy, and I think he's their plan one. I think he's their plan 1A, and I think they're going to pursue him until they can't anymore. Jeremy, who do you want? I want, uh, I would say I want Carlos Pro because I think he's the best out of the four. I think he, I, I do think he's probably the best there. I think he's the best uh, a player out of those four players. I, I think his defense has gone down a little bit, but I do agree with Randall. I think he could transition pretty well to third base. And and I think he's also the youngest, I think, of the four. So I, I like the idea of him playing, uh, you know, in Chicago as a Cub. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm a big Carlos Correa fan. I think I think it'd be kind of funny because when he came up, you know, around Chris Bryant at that time, there was some talk about, oh, who's better? Career Brian, it'd be nice to have the Cubs to have both of them. Um, together would have been nice, but also at one point to have both of them. And I, I, yeah, I, I see Carlos Correa. I really would like to see him in Cubs pinstripes. I think he's he's the guy that I want. Though my close number two would be Trey Turner. I really like Trey Turner. Are either of you put off by maybe the baggage or the association with the Astros? Because that's the thing with Correa that I think sucks. So here's the thing: if he signs with the Cubs. Uh, he was innocent completely, like okay. never happened. Yeah, that that's that's what I'm telling myself. That's my story, and I am sticking to it. Because look, ask, ask me again if they actually sign him. I, I understand he, it. He's the best player here, right? Yeah. He's clearly the top of the class here. The Cubs have all the incentive in the world to go out and spend money, bring in this big time player, and as you said, move him over to third base in a couple of years. But I don't like the Astros thing. That's kind of bothering me a little bit. It's on my mind. I don't love it. I don't know that I want to cheer for Carlos Correa. So if they do sign him, we just have to remember him as a Minnesota twin and be like, we have no <laughs> idea where he played prior to that. You know, we'll, we'll send pictures of the him in that powder blue twins jersey wearing that number four. Ronan, you're the one who put this question on the rundown after seeing it. Who is your want and who is your realistic get? I, I'm torn. Right? Correa is the answer. He's the guy. He's the best player in this mix that's going to make the Cubs better next year and for years beyond that. It, that's the answer to this, but it bothers me. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't care about this, but I hate the Astros. I hate what they did in that World Series. I hate that he was in the middle of it, and I, I don't know. I, it, it felt good booing for Ryan Braun 
when he was a Milwaukee Brewer. Like, fuck Ryan Braun, right? How could I cheer for Carlos Correa, man? He's a cheater too, right? You or am I being Edmonds. Did you a not? little too? Uh, am I being a little too dramatic? Did well, you was not Jim cheer Edmonds for a Tim cheater? Edmonds? Well, he was a Cardinal. That's worse. <laughs> well, I, but, I, I mean, maybe that is worse. That's the only thing with Correa because the take the emotion out of it. He's the guy. He's absolutely the guy you put in this position. But that does kind of bother me. And the reality is Turner would be awesome at Wrigley. I think he'd be a great fit with the Cubs organization. Same goes for any of these guys. I just, I, I, that part of it, maybe I'll get over that when Correa signs with the Cubs and he's having all-star season after all-star season and the Cubs are good. But right now, November 17th, it annoys me. It bugs me a bit. I don't know that I want to cheer for that guy. Now, here's my question to the two of you. Are we all in agreement that like any of these short stuff, if the Cubs can go out and get one and sign a big money free agent, we're going to be like, okay, but are we all in agreement that Dan Swanson is clearly the fourth choice here? out of the four like he's the one with whom we'd be the least happy if that's who they end up getting i think i like Dansby a lot i mean i i don't like him for the fact that he was at vanderbilt and beat illinois uh in the 2015 uh uh super regional to go to the college World series in omaha and he got drafted number one that day but i do like Dansby. i think he's a very successful he's a great defensive uh shortstop he's the bats come along but i i do agree i think he would be my number four but I mean, Xander Bogarts to me also, he's kind of dropped off a little bit. So, hmm. uh, and I feel like Dansby Swanson's going up the last couple of years. He's played pretty well. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I yes, he would be, I think I'd have him as a close number four. But honestly, if the Cubs sign any of these guys, I would be ecstatic. I think they yeah. all would be great players. I, I think that's right. And it obviously depends what else you do. Like, okay, yeah. you have Dansby Swanson. Dansby had a monster season last year for a very good Atlanta team that was struggling and then turned it on. It's six and a half war last year. It's a very, very good season. I think he'd fit fine in at Wrigley. I don't think he's the top line guy, but uh, you put him, you go out, you get a first baseman. I've been chirping for Jose Abreu here these last couple of weeks. You go get a top of the line starting pitcher, a defensive center fielder. You got a lineup here that's coming together. This thing is looking to be a team that's going to be very competitive in that division next season. So maybe so, Randall. I, I am a big fan of Dansby. Uh, I just, I'm, the Correa thing is it's bugging me a little bit. And I've been going back and forth on it so much these last few weeks because another thing, and Jeremy, I think, has been the one tweeting this on our account a lot the last couple of days. All the press right now, including Marquee and all these analysts they put on Marquee, it's all Correa to the Cubs. There, there, where there is smoke, there's fire. And when the Cubs TV station is lighting some of those flames, there's definitely some fire there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, it's weird to me that Marquis is multiple like days in a row. They're putting up like different people saying that Carlos Correa to the Cubs. Like you have you have multiple Cubs beat writers saying it in Sharma and Gordon Whitmire. And that Gordon Whitmire is not really a guy who's going to go out there and, you know, I feel like say those types of things. You have you've John Morosi's been he was pimping it last year too but he's doing it again this year and then you have marquee like promoting it now i'm not saying marquee knows anything because they probably keep the you know baseball ops and you know marquee pretty separate pretty big wall but like i there's got to be something to it if the cubs if they're I've, all these guys are saying it i'm not saying they'll sign him but there has to be some pretty high interest randall you agree <laughs> 
I mean, I know you I, hate the rumors. <laughs> I, yeah, again, there's nothing that says less to me than team is interested in player. You know, what was it earlier this week? The Astros have identified Anthony Rizzo as their top target. And then the very next night he re-upped with the Yankees on a multi-year deal. It means absolutely nothing to me, but it would be good to know that the Cubs do have interest in Correa. And I think we know that they have interest in Correa, even if that interest is just that they are a team in search of a good player at a premium position and he's available. Um, again, it doesn't really say much, uh, but it, it would be good to know that Jed is pursuing Carlos Correa, not just that they're interested in him, that he's actively discussing with Boris, uh, you know, parameters of what a contract would look like, what the Cubs would need to pony up. I'd be much happier to hear that. And I suppose if Sahadev Sharma, a guy who's not really prone to hyperbole, is, you know, saying he's smelling this smoke too, there's probably a little something to it. But again, the rumors are a dime a dozen. I could start a rumor right now saying, you know, a source told me, and I think pr- people would probably pick it up and run with it. Sign the guy already. Enough with the rumors. Have have one of the blue check marks tell one of the real blue check marks, not somebody who bought their blue check mark, Elon. Have one of the blue check marks tell us uh, Correa to the Cubs is close. They just do it already. Enough with the rumors. Enough with the sources. Get it done. Randall wants it done before Thanksgiving. Correct. Yeah. I want it done before Thanksgiving. I want to toast Carlos Correa to the Cubs at my Thanksgiving dinner. Turkey and Correa. Turkey yeah, and mean, Correa. Turkey, mashed potatoes, and Correa casserole. Theo Epstein, and, and I'm not sure if Jed, I, oh, but Theo Epstein got Kurt Schilling done, I think, on a, at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, Thanksgiving I really dinner, hope. Yeah. I really hope Jed does not sign Kurt Schilling at Thanksgiving dinner because that would God. pose that would pose a, a whole host of new problems. Oh, well, I think yeah, I think Randall might feel worse about Kurt Schilling to the Cubs than Ronan feels about Carlos Correa. But that is correct. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. I I don't think I would feel really anything. I mean, I think he'd be like, yeah, it's annoying play for the Astros, and he was part of it. But like, he's a Cub now. I I feel like. I mean, maybe if the Cubs played in that World Series and we got screwed out of it like the Dodgers did, I might feel a little differently. But, like, I feel like there's so many people that have done worse things to the Cubs or, or any Chicago team that ended up being on Chicago teams. And I'm like, I was able to get over and root for them. I was able to root for Dennis Rodman. I was able to root for, you know, Jim Edmonds, who I mentioned before, who didn't really, you know, I was able to root for other certain players that have come over. And so, like, I, I think I would have no problem rooting for Carlos Correa. I'd be very happy. You couldn't root for John Starks and the Bulls, though. Nobody could root for I, John, John Starks. Starks couldn't root for John Starks and the Bulls. He quit like three games into it. He just disaster. walked off. Yeah. Total, total disaster. I look. I, I know what I said a few minutes ago. I will get over it if Carlos Correa ends up signing with the Cubs. But it is on my mind, right? That romantic baseball fan. I mean, what the Astros did was awful. It was awful. It was, it was trash. horrible. It, it, was it was trash, trash. Randall. Exactly. It was Garbage. trash. But but I but I mean that. Like it 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 should not have happened. And the punishments should have been stricter for everybody involved. There's only so much the commissioner can do with the players because of their CBA and their agreement and all that. But it was horrible what they did and got away with and won that World Series. And that's why I'm a little bit sick thinking about it. But and you they, know, didn't, they didn't just do it. They did it to you, Darvish. And then yeah. they, they told him it was his fault. And Darvish, one of the funniest, nicest guys in the game, they made you, Darvish, sad. There's not too many more not too many more heinous crimes than making you Darvish sad. I'll never like the Astros. Nope. No fair follow. Nope. I'll never like the Houston Astros. I, nope. they have, nope. I mean, their owners. I mean, can you imagine winning the world series and then basically getting dumped as the GM? Yeah. And then you have Jeff Bagwell coming out and saying like, Oh, they're, he wasn't impressed by their player development by the Astros who were like, 
It's maybe the Astros, the Rays, and the Dodgers. Who else would could those are the top three organizations in player development? Yeah. You have Jeff Bagwell telling the owner that he's not impressed by it. Come on. Yeah, I, it's I, wild. It's crazy. Well, before we move on, we got a couple other things we want to get to here tonight. Um, anything else roster related? Cubs, majors, minors that's eaten away at either of you guys right now? You know, not at the moment, but the non-tender deadline is tomorrow. We record this Thursday night. The non-tender deadline is tomorrow, Friday. By the time you are listening to this, uh, 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 loyal listeners, the non-tender deadline will be just a few short hours away. Um, You know, it wasn't all that long ago where we were anticipating Kyle Schwarber, Cubs World Series hero, getting non-tendered. I feel like there isn't really any drama on this current Cubs roster as to who might get cut, uh, non-tendered. We uh, devoted plenty of airtime to whether what they were going to do with uh, Fran Mil Reyes. And while we were recording last week, that uh, that drama ended very abruptly as he was uh, outrighted and elected free agency. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of drama on this roster as to who the, might, who the Cubs might non-tender. I don't think there's going to be any real surprises uh, from that tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs already kind of dealt with that issue last week. Yeah. I think just to get... And from the 40-man deadline, so you get some guys on there. Um, they had a little bit of a roster crunch. So, yeah, night, tomorrow. I am a little surprised, though. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit. But we're, uh, the Cubs do have 39 guys currently on their 40-man, which seems like a lot. Not only one open spot. So if the Cubs are planning to add some outside talent, they're going to have to make some more room on that 40-man because yeah. they don't have a lot of open spots currently. So there might be some guys on that 40-man that you might see kind of go away. And what number did Carlos Correa wear in his years as an Astro? Number one. How many open 40-man spots do the Cubs have? One. It's all coming what together, was, Jeremy. What number was Carlos Correa drafted? One, one. Mm-hmm. It's all coming together, Jeremy. It's all coming together. There you go. Well, the only other thing roster-related that's on my mind right now is center field. It's got to be a priority for the Cubs this offseason. Uh, and Cody Bellinger, that's the guy. I've been talking about that for a couple months here on the show. I would love Cody Bellinger on maybe a two-year deal with uh, an option or something like that out in center field. Great defensive glove. He's hitting the pass. He didn't hit last year. We know that. But you put him at Wrigley Field, give him some support in that lineup. That's what I want to do. I I prefer that to Kiermaier, which appears to be the other name rising to the top for the Cubs here. If Bellinger is non-tendered by the Dodgers tomorrow, I think the Cubs' first phone call needs to be to Bellinger. I think even if you don't necessarily buy him bouncing back offensively, I think he defensively fits everything you need on this roster. He's a, a good defensive center fielder, and he's only going to get better in smaller Wrigley. He can play first base, and he gives you insurance whether you sign a Brayu or not for Mervis. I think he's I think he's a great candidate for a spot on this roster right now, based on what you need, based on what you hope he bounces back to be. So if he is non-tendered by the Dodgers tomorrow, I think the Cubs first phone call needs to be to Bellinger. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind uh, Bellinger. I think he'd be perfectly fine. as Cubs. hopefully he could bounce back. I just still think Kiermaier is going to end up being the guy. I think mm. he just kind of, I just feel like I'm not that Bellinger doesn't fit at all. Like he'd be a perfect fit. Obviously. I just think the fit of him being like, I think Bellinger will have, probably more suitors than Kiermaier. I think sure. Bellinger might not. Be, well, I think Kiermaier probably has more being from the Midwest, being from Indiana, being from um, his brother, being the head guy at Wrigley. I think Kiermaier might have more personal interest in playing with the Cubs. So he might, you know, like if Bellinger has a bunch of suitors, well, what about the Cubs is really going to be the thing, the differenti- differentiating factor that's going to stand out. Whereas I think for Kiermaier, maybe there might be a couple suitors, but like the Cubs, I think would clearly be a spot that would stand out to him. So, and he probably 
you know, might be a little bit cheaper than Bellinger if Bellinger gets released or if non-tendered. So I just, my personal opinion, I just think Kiermaier is just going to end up being the guy because I just see that fit of Kevin Kiermaier being as a Chicago Cub just seems to make sense. You could say that Wrigley is Kiermaier's turf already. Yeah, well, it definitely is. You could say that. Uh, I don't know that I would say that. Uh, what you Fair got me thinking about, though, is is there a bigger jump in all of baseball if you are the groundskeeper, right? Going from Tampa Bay to Wrigley Field in terms of all the things that you got to be responsible for. Because Wrigley also obviously is the ivy on the outfield wall. You got to manicure that. But going from that that awful, awful ballpark in St. Petersburg, I don't even want to call it a ballpark. It's a, it's a hockey arena that sort of became this major league stadium that's got to be one of the biggest jumps in baseball. Yeah, you've got to deal with real dirt instead of the the ground up rubber or whatever. You've got to deal with real grass instead of the turf. You, you know, you go from uh, you go from like taking care of a fake bonsai plant to to taking care of a whole a whole greenhouse basically. And you would think if the Kiermaier brothers do end up together, that they would have pretty good you know, communication as to what maybe Kevin likes out there in yeah. center field or the players. You know, Dan Kiermaier could maybe curtail the ballpark a little bit the field a little bit to fit some more the players not that he, he doesn't do it anyways but like you would think the communication level would be pretty high there i'm just imagining kevin kiermeyer making like a diving play <laughs> in the outfield at wrigley and kicking up a like a, like a chunk of dirt or whatever and his brother texts his phone during the game kevin gets back to his locker and finds a text that says hey fix your divots jackass <laughs> exactly well, it does make me a little bit nostalgic and sad about, you know, there used to be a time in Major League Baseball in our lifetime where there were big differences between these ballparks. And a lot of it has been standardized. Obviously, a difference between a domed stadium in Tampa Bay and a place like Wrigley Field. But Wrigley was always known when we were growing up. The thick infield grass, you had the crown, which caused guys literally to fall down when they were running around on the field. That stuff has all gone away. The ballpark at Wrigley, the field itself, really not all that different from most outdoor ballparks anymore. But it's one of the bygone eras of baseball, right? That Jeremy, how many times when we were kids did Steve Stone talk about the thick infield grass and it benefiting certain pitchers at Wrigley Field? That was a huge storyline as we were falling in love with this team. Yeah, I remember even, you know, thinking like 10, 15 years ago, like, oh, this guy's a great sinker pitcher, you know, he'd fit really well in at Wrigley field with the tall grass. You know, I always remember the, the Cubs were always a team that kind of had thick grass, tall grass, the ball would get slowed down. Um, but you know, another thing that they took away obviously would be the, 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 bulk, the mounds, the, on the, the foul yeah. lines, you know, that obviously add takes away from the fielding. Um, you know, you used to see guys run up, get lost, you know, lose track of where they were at the mound or the the pitchers on the sideline. So, yeah, you know, now that they've leveled out Wrigley, um, which was it, you know, they obviously updated the drainage, did lots of things, made it more modern on the field, which overall is probably better for the actual gameplay playing of games. But it does take a little bit out of the, the charm, the charisma, the nostalgia of like, you know, there's these little differences and these little kind of things that that set Wrigley Field apart. And so, yeah, that is something I do miss. Yeah, that's the one thing I do miss about old Wrigley is the bullpens that were on the field. Uh, seeing the relievers sitting there, Travis Wood, when he was in the bullpen, he pioneered that game where none of the relievers would flinch in the face yeah. of a foul ball. They'd sit there and get hit in the shin. Uh, it was always great sitting on either the home bullpen and listening to the chatter, or, you know, saying, saying some words to a guy or sitting on the, the road bullpen and saying some other words to a guy. Uh, so I do miss the bullpens on the field. That was a, that was a big part of the character at Wrigley, and I do miss that. I do miss the visuals, and I do miss the uh, what it brought to sitting in the ballpark. 
Chad yeah. Noble, the bullpen catcher, That's big right. part of that game. Chad Noble, big part of that game. And who could forget the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, throwing yes, punches? Chad Cruder. fans down the right field line. Uh, a fan plucked a hat off of somebody there. Yeah, down in the bullpen. Chad Cruder goes up into the crowd. Man, what a wild the, scene. That one guy won like $400,000 in a lawsuit because yeah. they tossed out the wrong guy. Got well, speaking of ugly ballparks, you talked about Tampa Bay a minute ago. The ugliest new ballpark in the sport, that is the one the Texas Rangers call home. Big the news Home Depot, for them home Depot today. It, it looks like a shed, a big, ugly shed. And it kind of looks, uh, at other moments, like uh, the Houston ballpark. I was going to say Enron, but Minute Maid Park. It, it's like a weird, more modern, uglier version. If you could actually make an uglier version of the ballpark in Houston, they managed to do it with the Texas Rangers they're getting the all-star game in 2024. So a big day for their organization. Minute Maid Park with no pumpkins, as we yeah. will never forget Ron Santo pointing out. You know, I'm, I'm going to call this the the COVID all-star game. Manfred, in his, his brief comments today, as he, in the middle of a busy schedule of jamming his thumb up his own ass, he mentioned how the Texas oh Rangers, <laughs> you heard me, he mentioned how the Texas Rangers uh, hosted the, the COVID bubble playoffs in 2020 at their ballpark. And this feels like a... a not an illegal like quid pro pro. It just feels like Manfred feels like he's kind of returning the favor there. Uh, I would say it would have been the Wrigley's. It would have been Wrigley's all-star game if Manfred weren't doing it for that reason. And we're, you know, we're just going to have to hope that it's uh, 2025 now. So if it's not 2025, the earliest it is, is going to be 2027. And that blows because Wrigley is fully renovated and it should have an all-star game a lot sooner than that. Next year, 2023, Seattle gets it, Texas in 2024, 2025 is open, and 2026 goes to the ballpark in Philadelphia. So, Jeremy, 25, that seems to be the magic number here for the Cubs. Yeah, you know, the one thing has always been that, like, if you get a new ballpark, if you renovate your ballpark, you're, you get the All-Star game. And so it makes sense that Texas would get one with a new ballpark. But Wrigley has been renovated. Wrigley's been, you know, and it's been 30 years, 30-plus years now, 1990. So even if they get it, in 2025 that's 35 years it'll be since Wrigley hosted the game there's only 30 teams so like if everybody hosts it once that's still more so uh but yeah it, it would be nice for Wrigley Field to get the all-star game it's I believe it Eddie Vedder believes it. it's the crown jewel right so I, I think that you know I, I really would love to see Wrigley Field get the all-star game and it has to be coming soon like we can't be yeah. waiting that long we can't be waiting almost 40 years for the all-star game to come to Wrigley Field which is such a beautiful ballpark you would think you would want to show it off I know it's not a brand new stadium but that's the whole point it's 100 plus years old like show it off it's just been updated um so and I know Tom Ricketts definitely wants the all-star game oh yeah well, Tom Ricketts likes money and that's fair because uh, you know everybody likes money and it should be noted that um, if the Cubs do not host it in 2025, it's a question of what other ballpark is going to host it just because everyone else has hosted an all-star game fairly recently. And even Philadelphia, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong. They last hosted in 1996. Is that correct? Veterans. Yeah, yeah, okay, I, at I Veterans Stadium. Veterans so yeah, so Citizens Bank Ballpark, it will be their first all-star game. They, of course, are getting it because 2026, you have the, the Centennial the festivities that they're celebrating. It's just a question of who else is going to host it in 2025. It's either the Cubs or some other team that has hosted it within the last 20 years. And for that reason alone, I think it needs to be Wrigley. I mean, it's either Wrigley or our favorite ballpark in Tampa at this point. No, and I don't think no. MLB would ever put a ballpark in Tampa at this point. I will say I have no issue with the Mariners hosting it in 2023, even though they have hosted it 
fairly recently in 2001, just because Seattle is such a beautiful city. That ballpark is such a great ballpark. There's going to be some great shots of the mountains and the, the ocean beyond there. I have no problem with that. Seattle's a great city. Um, but yeah, give it to Wrigley in 2025. No reason not to. Seattle doing some renovations to the ballpark too. So they're going to modernize it a little bit in advance of the All-Star game next year. Guys, it's happening. Cubs are getting it in 2025. And boy, what a summer that's going to be in Chicago. We expect the Cubs are going to be very, very good in 2025. All the renovations are going to be done. The sports book is open. This is going to be modern Wrigley Field at its peak with a good ball club. It is happening there. And uh, just to clarify, Randall, the 250th, anniversary of american independence in yeah. philadelphia the following year so yeah, it's centennial, cool. centennial related i was on the right path yeah yeah uh, uh franklin's uh, tower there and the bell and all that good stuff in philadelphia awesome city there were great hosts for some world series games this year and that's going to be a lot of fun for them uh one other ballpark related thing kind of crossed the desk here cubs hosting a winter wonderland at wrigley field that opens tomorrow five bucks Gets you into Wrigley Field. You got to pay a little bit more if you want to ice skate, do the big uh, snow slide sledding thing that they've got in right field. But here's the thing. I'm coming home next month in December. I got about 10 or 11 days. I'm going to be in the Chicago area. And damn well, I'm paying $5 to go step inside Wrigley Field because I've never been in Wrigley Field in December, and I'm looking forward to it. I would pay twice that to walk around Wrigley Field in the winter when it's not hosting baseball. So the Cubs are selling themselves short here. Cubs, you could charge me $10 and I would go do that. But yeah, uh, the Cubs have been hosting their their winter wonderland thing at Wrigley for a couple of years now. They they put on the market in Gallagher Way, which is still there, but now they are expanding it, of course, into the ballpark proper. And uh, the great photos from Wrigley Aerials, find that account on Twitter, at yeah. Wrigley Aerials, gets these great photos of the ballpark from above. Um, they've got everything set up. They've got the ice rink set up in uh, what is, I believe, shallow right field. They've got the infield all dressed up. And yeah, it's kitschy. And, you know, there's probably a lot of uh, older people and younger people grumbling at uh, Ricketts, the, the Naper vilification of Wrigley Field. But uh, it's an excuse to be inside Wrigley Field in December. And again, I will pay $5 for that excuse. And I will only complain a little bit about it. Yeah, don't give Tom Ricketts any ideas there, Randall, because that double your money right there. That's going to happen if he listens. That's to right. Podcast. He's going to listen to our podcast. He's going to stop me at the door and said, no, sir, you said you'd pay $10 pony up. And I'm OK, well, you got me. You're listening. So I'll pay you the fee. Which are you most excited for? The uh, chimney, the chimney toss, the snow pitch, the ice skating? <laughs> Um, standing in the outfield at yes, field. standing That's in the outfield taking pictures on the <laughs> That's phone. precisely what I'm most excited for is the standing in the outfield ride. It is free. There is no additional charge and you can stay on it as ice long as you bumper want. cars, Randall. You, you know, I've done the ice. Out. I've done the ice bumper cars. They're kind of overrated. Um, so yeah, I've done it once and I'm but have good you at done least... it with Ronin in a separate car. Uh, have I done it? No. Will I do it? No, because Ronan is, you will. Ronan is going to do to me what you, Jeremy, once did to me in Ronan's backyard, and he's going to put me through the glass, and I'm going to end up flying into the outfield, and Ronan's going to complain it was my fault. He's going to tell the attendant, oh, this guy steered himself off the ice. You, Everybody saw that, and I'm just going to be sitting there steaming at it. So no, that's not happening. I'm not getting on the ice bumper cars with Ronan. It's not happening. Well, you know, I've been on the field at Wrigley Field a few times over the years, sometimes with press credentials. When I was a kid, they used to have a thing called All-Star Kids Day, and I was on the field twice with that. Uh, Jeremy, have you ever been on the field at Wrigley Field? 
Uh, yeah, I, I remember a couple years ago, well, more than a couple, probably 20 years ago, uh, I was on the field for a fan appreciation day towards, cool. you know, the end of the year. And I remember, I always remember this. I, I thought it was funny. Uh, there was a guy walking on the, in the outfield with no shoes on. And I remember thinking like, he's walking around, no shoes on. And the guy looks at me and my uncle and he goes, hallowed ground. And I'm like, oh, it's holy ground. He didn't take his, <laughs> he didn't take his shoes off. There, there were some always... shoeless people out there at Dead and Company yeah, this summer in the outfield probably. as well. Yeah, hallowed ground there too. Um, so that's something I've always remembered. Yeah, that that's a time I've been on the field at Wrigley. Um, I'm trying to think if I've been on the field another time, but uh, that that one always is kind of seared in my image, just being in the um, in the outfield. Have you been out there, Randall? I have. I've toured Wrigley uh, like a like a tourist a couple times. I have been. Uh, I guess I necessarily haven't been. I haven't stood on the outfield, but I have been on the field at Wrigley. So uh, when I do get to eventually stand in the outfield, I can I can cross that off the list. It's cool. It's really cool standing out in center field and looking up at the hand-operated scoreboard and then turning around and looking back at the grandstands and the press box and all that. This is an awesome event. Good on the Cubs for doing it and really making it reasonably priced. Just $5 to get in the door. Everything else is going to cost you more. You want to skate, you want to do the other stuff. I'm sure that's not going to be cheap at the end of the day. But yeah, they will get $5 out of me to go stand inside Wrigley Field, snap a couple pictures, look up at the old scoreboard, think about Sammy and the old Torco sign, the old Budweiser sign sign all these things for my youth it's going to be cool to get out there um one other actually ballpark thing randall you got one more thing on this front i do want to say what you should do is i think you should bring an american flag with you i think you should put it in your back pocket and when you get out there i think you should recreate sammy's run out to right field we can we can video you doing it and it will be as you love to say great content for the twitter account for for however much longer we have a twitter account Oh, man, Randall, I got oh, no issues fall. keeping it going there uh, on the old Twitter right now. Uh, but let's uh, one other thing ballpark related. Either of you see what happened with Kansas City yesterday. Uh, their ownership group basically said, look, we want some public money. We want to move this team downtown. We want to build a new brand, new ballpark in downtown Kansas City. Uh, if you've ever been to Kauffman Stadium, uh, it's right in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's surrounded by parking lots. You've got the football stadium over there as well. Sort of similar to like the Miller Park type setup where fans go to Royals games to tailgate. And that's a big part of the culture there. Well, a lot of modern teams are moving back downtown. So the renovations come out, the, the, the renderings rather, of what they want to do to the new ballpark. And that's out on Twitter. I encourage folks to take a look at it. If you've ever been to Kansas City, get an idea of where they want to put it. But I looked at those renderings, not enough fountains. They got a tiny fountain in right center field. That is a huge part of the identity of the Royals, that city, and that ballpark, Kauffman Stadium. You're getting rid of that and the crown vision in center field. Like the two most distinctive things about their current ballpark are basically removed, or I, I should correct myself, shrunken. Shrunken in the new renderings. I saw that and I said, that's, that's horseshit. You got to do better than this design. The two things about Kansas City, fountains, crown vision you got to have both in a new ballpark well yeah and the reason you know they're basically wanting to move back <clears throat> into the city is they want they want somewhere where they can own all pretty much own all the land so they can put up some developments right where they are right now they can't put up any real that's all all these teams want to do nowadays you know ronan out being out there in denver as they want you know to put up their little real estate development obviously tom ricketts buying everywhere outside really you can't do that when you're in just a bunch of par government-owned parking lots and and uh you know, the, the football stadium right next door. So, uh, yeah, you know, they want that. The Bears are going to do the same thing. That's why they're moving from Soldier Field to move to Arlington Heights. So, uh, but yeah, it is a little disappointing. It, the the rendering is kind of like 
put it in the downtown area, like kind of fit in. And, you know, I agree with you. The fountains are what you think of when you think of Coffin yeah. Stadium right now. And they're what you think of. And the crown with the scoreboard is what you think of as well. So, yeah, you would think you want to keep those kind of iconic. Like if they're I'm not going to say they're ever going to build a new Wrigley Field. But they ever did, you would want the ivy and the brick wall and uh, the scoreboard, you know, something like that. So you got to make it, you got to make it so, as uh, John Luke Picard would say. They're, they're going to move to Rosemont one of these years. It's going to happen. Or Kansas the City? Cubs? Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the Kansas City Royals are going to move to Rosemont. They'll become the Rosemont Royals. I just encourage baseball fans, if you're listening to this right now, look at those renderings and tell me that ballpark doesn't need more fountains and the crown vision, like the, the giant crown above the ballpark that the Kansas City Royals play in, right? It's the city of fountains. You can, it, the renderings were not final. They're obviously trying to get some public support here, and a lot of people in Kansas City in the area there want nothing to do with this ballpark moving downtown. And it's been sort of a mixed bag. Like Atlanta moved out of the city closer to their season ticket base. That's been a net positive. for every, Everybody says this new ballpark in Atlanta is the way to do it. So we'll see what happens with Kansas City. But I was at Kauffman Stadium a couple years ago absolutely exceeded my expectations it's a very very cool ballpark it's built in the 60s they do not build anything like that anymore and my advice to baseball fans especially with the cubs and royals now playing every year get down there make it a priority see it and the fountains are awesome super super cool to walk around that ballpark and see the fountains there so we'll see what the royals do uh but a a bad roster goodness (laughs) Let them deal with that. All right, preseason. We made some predictions on who would win awards. Well, we've got the official award winners, and we swung and missed, guys, at a lot of this. So let's start here in the National League. Rookie of the year ended up being an incredible battle between two Atlanta Braves. Michael Harris wins it, beating out his teammate pitcher Spencer Strider. This guy, Brendan Donovan, uh, finishes also as a finalist here. He, of course, the St. Louis Cardinal. Randall, I saw a quote here, uh, a stat on Mr. Brendan Donovan. It said, quote, he used his defensive versatility to become the first rookie in the rich history of the Cardinals to win a gold glove, but he doesn't win rookie of the year. So it goes to Michael Harris. Randall, you said Saya. He's going to win it this year. Yeah, the homer vote not really coming through for me. The only stat that matters regarding Brendan Donovan is that there are not enough hand wank motions in all the world. That's the only stat that matters. He was a fantastic utility player, unfortunately, for the wrong team here. I stand by it. I said Joey Bart of the San Francisco Giants was expecting big things for him. Didn't quite work out in his rookie year. O'Neill Cruz, Jeremy, that was your pick. Michael Harris told us all where to put it, and he led basically all the offensive stats. For rookies, hits, extra base hits, tied for the lead with home runs, clearly the guy, but we all missed on this one. Yeah, that, that's what'll get you is the that guy who comes up uh, early in the season and Harris came up in late April, early May, somewhere in there. He just took it and ran with it. And that's the, that's the guy that's hard to predict because all of our predictions, Bart, previous major league experience on your part, Ronan, O'Neill Cruz on your part, Jeremy, previous major league experience, and Seiya Suzuki, previous high-level professional experience. We all picked the guys who were not necessarily coming in cold, but still had rookie uh, eligibility, and uh, it it cost us that coveted, accurate prediction. So it's hard to predict that guy who comes up, uh, I don't know, unexpectedly. I'm sure Braves fans would tell us they were expecting him to come up and just takes the, the award and runs with it. Well, he was a special player. Like he, his defense was incredible as well. He's extremely fast. I thought Spencer Strider, also another guy who came up, did amazing job for them. And he got the big contract. He they Braves lock everybody up 
So um, I will say O'Neill Cruz only had two games before this year. It's not like he played a lot in Major League Baseball. But, uh, yeah, you know, my guy obviously didn't make it. He uh, he hit the ball hard, did some quality things, but just didn't really prove it. But Michael Harris, I, I agree with you. I think he's definitely the guy. And on Brendan Donovan, defensive versatility, I do remember watching – a Cubs broadcast or not a Cubs uh, major league broadcast. I think it was Fox. Uh, I think it was Caleb Killian's uh, first debut uh, against the Cardinals. And they, they showed a stat cast thing on the screen and the stat cast, like the advanced stat was just all the different positions. Brendan Donovan had played. And I thought counting to 12 is not really much of an advanced stats, like 12 games in left field, six games in shortstop. And I'm like, how is, why do you need stat cast for that? I remember thinking that seemed pretty ridiculous. There aren't enough advanced hand wink motions in the world. There's your advanced statistics on Brendan Donovan. Randall, you well, can just say maybe it's advanced for St. Louis Cardinal fans. I thought that's where you're going. That's there you go, Not Jeremy. Count. Count, counting to twelve is advanced for them. Good, <laughs> yeah. good work, good work. Well, credit where credit is due, and I'll give this to you guys here. American League Rookie of the Year in the preseason. Randall, you said Julio Rodriguez. Jeremy, you said Julio Rodriguez. He wins it, no question about it. Just a total superstar there in Seattle. Uh, marvelous season from start to finish for a team that was one of the great stories this year in baseball. You both, you both love your sports betting. You're never going to go broke betting on the J-Rod show. Fantastic player, uh, fantastic player on an emerging team, which is even better. And I think that helps his rookie, helped his public rookie of the year case a lot. Voters love the guy being on a good, visible emerging team, but that shouldn't take away from the fact that he is a fantastic player. He's a great outfielder. He's a great hitter. And we get the privilege of watching him in the major leagues for years to come. Never bet against the J-Rod show. Yeah, I, I think Julio Rodriguez is a special player. I remember when he was coming up, just seeing the exit velocities of like the Mariners Twitter account where you supposed to put their device. I wish the Cubs had one, like a prospect development uh, Twitter, but the Mariners used to post like he would be huge numbers. I'm like, whenever that guy comes up, I'm picking him for rookie of the year. But I will say, Adley Rushman had a fantastic season as a catcher, and mm -hmm. I, I think he's going to be a special, special baseball player. Yep. And a great story, too, there with the Baltimore Orioles. I swung and missed on this one, boys. I said Spencer Torkelson of the Detroit Tigers still. Very promising career in front of him. He's just 22 years old, but was awful. Absolutely awful this season for a bad Tigers team. Finished with a negative one and a half war. Tough year for him. I do think there's good days in front of him, but I certainly missed on that one. Cy Young will start in the National League. Sandy Alcantara wins it. That's a, a really interesting story down in Miami. Dominated all season. Takes in that award. Randall, you and I preseason said Walker Bueller. Good Oops. guess, but we missed. Jeremy, I'm appalled. Corbin Burns, how dare you? How dare me? He was a reigning Cy Young pitcher. I remember thinking, like, he's a really good pitcher. Did not really prove in 2022. 20, uh, but I will say, Sandy Alcantara, it's nice to see that somebody the Cardinals gave up in a trade goes out and wins an award like this, a Cy Young award. So, you know, it's not all their, their trades are just giving away nothing for something. Uh, Ronan, you and I didn't just swing and miss. We we sent Walker Bueller to Dr. Neil L. Atrache to to get that uh, that Tommy John surgery. So uh, sorry about that, Walker. Um, hope you come back stronger. What jumps out to me about Sandy Alcantara compared to the other two finalists is the innings pitched. Sandy Alcantara pitched 228 and two-thirds innings pitched in uh, over 32 starts in the 2022 season. Max Freed 
185 and a third innings pitched. Julio Urias, 175 innings pitched. That's a huge gap. And especially in an era where teams are not letting their starting pitchers go that many innings. Six complete games for Sandy Alcantara this season. So again, the innings pitch gap is just immense. And I think that worked in his favor because he put up uh, comparable numbers, if not better numbers, compared to both of his uh, final competition finalists and he did so pitching significantly more innings so i think that worked in his favor a great deal american league cy young preseason we all picked garrett cole we did that was a, a btyl sweep yep right into the trash can <laughs> because it was justin verlander of the houston astros the ageless wonder beats out dylan cease there on the south side hey tip the cap man justin verlander has been a badass year in year out Comes back from injury, wins that American League Cy Young, and he goes into uh, free agency here with a nice big check coming. Yeah, you know, at, at that age, coming back from the surgery, as you mentioned, um, yeah, incredible for what Justin Verlander was able to do. I, I Garrett Cole had a fine season. I think we all can get a little bit of credit there, but not a great season. Uh, but, yeah, who knows? And maybe Justin Verlander, maybe the Cubs – we know he was interested in the Cubs in the past and, the, and turned out to be a mistake that the Cubs made and not really acquiring him. So maybe there's a chance the Cubs, you know, come back. They'll maybe on the list maybe. So hopefully we'll see where Justin Verlander goes in 2023. Yeah, you know, I don't think any of us saw the soon-to-be 40-year-old winning his third career Cy Young, but that is the thing about baseball, is where you are at the beginning of the season and where things go by the end of the season, it'll always surprise you. MVP. This one's going to be a little bit tough. We're going to start in the National League here preseason. Randall said Juan Soto. I went I with Mookie Betts of the Dodgers. Jeremy, all about that Bryce Harper in Philly. Uh, was having a great year. Obviously had the injury, missed some time down the stretch, but ultimately helped his team win a pennant and almost win the World Series. Ah, Paul Goldschmidt, right? Two Cardinals finalists. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. Paulie wins it. I, I got nothing else to say on that front. Nothing. The only thing I have to say is that this occurred to me last night. There was a 66.6% chance that a Cardinal was going to take home the MVP. That's not coincidence because the Cardinals are the devil. Yeah, Three I season. thought Paul. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I thought Paul Gulch was going to fall off a cliff a year or two ago. And it's disappointing so that he, he went the opposite way. It seems like he had the best season of his career. Find me a cliff. I'll make it happen. Yeah. Preseason American League, uh, another BTYL sweep. We all had Vlad Jr of the Toronto Blue Jays being the American League MVP. The real story, though, as this season went on, Aaron Judge in New York, Shohei Otani in Anaheim, and obviously a good season from uh, Jordan Alvarez as well, and a big home run in the World Series for him. But Aaron Judge takes the vote from Shohei. Uh, so we were all wrong with our preseason prediction. Did they get it right, though, in Judge over Otani? They certainly didn't get it wrong. For my money, I still would have picked Otani just because I think that what he does as a hitter and as a pitcher together, I just think it's impossible to top. CC Sabathia, fantastic personality, great career as a pitcher. He was promoting these terrific t-shirts that he or one of his cohorts had come up with. One side says Judge is the MVP, but the back says, but Otani is the best player on the planet. And I'm, I'm willing to accept that as a compromise. I, I think they got it right. I mean, you just think about the special season that Aaron judge had and he like, it was neck and neck. Like, it's not like, I wouldn't say Otani was over, over and above necessarily of like, like he was kind of with Vlad last year and Otani. Yeah. is probably the best player on the planet. Like Otani, what Otani does is ridiculous. He could win the MVP pretty much every season. It's incredible how uh, I just, nothing. Go, I mean, we're, 
we take for almost take for granted Otani just now because like every, it's just so special. It's like it's awe inspiring of what he actually does when you really think about it. Um, but Aaron Judge, you know, I know we kind of faltered into the playoffs and at the end of last season, but like he did hit 60 plus homers in a season where homers were down and he, he did have an incredible year. I Aaron Judge to me, I think deserved to be the MVP. Hit a lot of home runs carrying that yeah. New York Yankees team over in the American League. Going to get paid. And he is also going to get paid. Uh, quickly, on that front, Vegas has Yankees as the favorites. The San Francisco Giants, number two to land Aaron Judge. Do either of you think he's not a Yankee next year? I would not be surprised to see him go to the Giants. That is a team that wants and needs star power. They want to be able to keep up with the Dodgers. We know they have money to throw around. We know that they like making that big free agent signing when they are able. And uh, Aaron Judge is from that part of the country. He was born in Sacramento. I would not at all be surprised to see the Giants introducing him in a, a cream, orange, and black number 99 jersey uh, at the beautiful ballpark by the Bay at some point this winter. That would not surprise me one bit. I would still be surprised if uh, Aaron Judge is not a Yankee. I just think, first of all, it seems like there's some you know collusion going on, with especially with you know Hale Steinbrenner coming out, basically telling Everybody like nobody's gonna top me. Like just let me have them, pretty much. And then you have the Mets, pretty much the article coming out saying, "Oh, the Mets have already kind of agreed with the Yankees. Like we we won't go after Judge." I don't know. I just I just can't see. It just seems to me that they're gonna pay him whatever he wants. There's they can't let him go. I know it's the no. Yankees. They have so much money. Like I, they can't. It's like they can't let him go. Imagine. I mean, I wish we could say the same about the Cubs and Brian and all stuff, but after the season he had, like, there might be literal riots in the Bronx <laughs> if they if Aaron Judge signs someone else. And so I just, I just, I think he's back. Rizzo's back. I think all the big boys will come back together. Stanton, whatever. Yeah. So I just see him as a Yankee again. But who knows? Maybe you know, stranger yeah. things have happened. The Bronx is burning again if yes. he is not there next season. He'll be back with the Yankees joining his buddy, Anthony Rizzo. Um, but uh, Giants, they're going to be aggressive this offseason. I just don't think that's the move. Jock Peterson going back to the Giants on a one-year deal. So the Bay Area boy, another year in San Francisco, became a bit of a fan favorite last year for the Giants. So good for Jock. Uh, we'll always be fans of Jock Peterson here on this podcast. Last thing, I don't think we made a preseason prediction on this manager of the year. Buck nope. Showalter, Randall's guy, four different teams. He's been manager of the year. He does it this year with the New York Mets, so good for Buck. How about the American League, though? Terry Francona wins it, but what I love about the finalists, Brandon Hyde, Cubs hero, I think that's fair to say. Scott Service, Cubs hero, another finalist, but it goes to Terry. One thing about Buck Showalter, he hasn't just won it four different times. He's won it in four different decades. Wild. He won it the 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now here in the 2020s. So he has a Manager of the Year award to his name in each of the last four decades. He also appeared on Seinfeld, so that's that's pretty incredible too. Uh, I think Buck Showalter has always been a great manager. I think he probably has run his course a little sometimes in certain situations. But, you know, a guy like Dusty Baker, a guy like whatever, like all these guys have always been kind of good managers, even – four or five years it might be time to move on like but they're still great managers and and you know just to add to your little service and and uh um brandon high you get, don't forget terry francona as mm -hmm. being the guy the cubs beat okay in the world series so there's no i've cubs not forgotten there. that thank you yes i know i i know you haven't i just want to make sure as randall would say let's not forget let's all remember that cleveland blew a 3-1 lead absolutely and buck showalter also has one of my favorite all-time quotes from a member of the baseball media from his time uh, with ESPN on baseball tonight. 
and uh, Buck Showalter once talking about uh, how uh, they're sitting in the studio after, a, you know, the West Coast games, someone just blew a save and it's, you know, 11 o'clock on the East Coast and they're still sitting there in the studio. And Buck Showalter talked about how John Cruck starts getting hangry and Showalter has to drive Cruck through the Taco Bell drive-thru. And Showalter was noted as saying, you ever taken John Cruck through the Taco Bell drive-thru? There's no taco salad back there. When you take John Cruck through the Taco Bell drive-thru. So Buck Showalter, also a very funny individual. Yeah, and Buck Showalter, just, just to build off of Buck Showalter notes, uh, probably one of the very few managers who ever uh, gave a player a book report in spring training. <laughs> when uh, one of the prospects in, with the Baltimore Orioles, a young prospect, didn't know who Frank Robinson was. Buck Showalter told him to go home, read up on Frank Robinson, and come back with a little book report for him to show him what he learned. So I, I think that was pretty uh, fun and interesting for Buck Showalter with uh, uh, Orioles prospect when he was manager of the Orioles. And if my Seinfeld history is right, he's the one who agreed to George Costanza's suggestion to go to the Cotton Jerseys, which was good jerseys. for a couple days and yeah. then not so good for no. the New York Yankees. But I will always tip the cap to Scott Service, 98 Cubs. Uh, a big part of that team, a playoff bound team and a guy who really has been a lifer in baseball many, many years in the Anaheim organization and minor league development. Now he gets a chance to manage here in Seattle. They're a team that a lot of casual fans are pulling for, I think next year in the American league, ton of talent, beautiful ballpark. Seattle is a, a team that's easy to root for when you're a national league central Cubs fan out in the West coast there. Yeah. Go win that division. Take it from Houston. Fun team and uh, Trader Jerry, you know, they make a lot of moves. They've already been making a lot of moves, already been making trades. So, like, they're going to be an active team this offseason. Speaking of active, we've done 90 of these podcasts. Unbelievable, guys. Last couple of years, many, many more coming. A tradition we like to do, though, on the show is reflect back on any Cubs who've worn the number corresponding with our show. Randall, any Cubs wear 90 over the years? There has been exactly one individual to wear number 90 in a Cubs uniform in any capacity in the regular season, and that is former staff assistant and just recently promoted to Major League coach Jonathan Moda, former minor league infielder for the Cubs. He's been a coach for a number of years. He served as a, a staff assistant, one of these positions who does probably a little of everything the past few years. And just recently with the shakeup in the Cubs coaching staff, the Cubs promoted him to major league coach. I don't know how many times he was actually in the dugout wearing that number 90 jersey last season, but he was listed on the coach roster in that number 90. And so he counts for my purposes, especially because it's on Casey Ignarski's website. And if he says it, then it must be true. That's mm -hmm. CubsByTheNumbers.com, of course. And so that is your one number 90 in Cubs history, former staff assistant, current major league coach, Jonathan Moda. And I, I just like to point out, just looking up Jonathan Moda, it seems like he spent, I would this probably upcoming going to be his 18th season in the Cubs organization, which is a pretty wow. good amount. He was since 2005 when he was an 18 year old playing for the Boise Hawks. So that's a long time to be with the Cubs. Yeah. He's been through some big time regime changes with the organization as well, uh, but good for him. And, and cool. I'd like to see a player sport the 90 here at one point, one of these uh, new young guys come up. Oh, 90, make it their own. Mervis. Uh, maybe so. Yeah. A lot of bombs from number 90 would be a lot of fun there. Uh, anything else? On your mind, guys, before we bring this thing home here today, we got the hot stove cooking. The Bears appear to have a quarterback. That's kind of fun, although, God, the rest of the team's a dumpster fire these days. Uh, anything else you guys want to uh, mention here before we wrap up? Well, we know there's not going to be a whole lot of player movement over the, the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. And so I'm telling the Cubs, get it done in the next uh, four to five days so that we can all enjoy it. 
during the Thanksgiving holiday. Imagine how much better all that food on the table is going to taste if the Cubs have signed a productive free agent prior to that. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I just want to see Randall checking Twitter on the uh, the Thanksgiving dinner and seeing whether or not, you know, the Cubs have landed a big name, you know, your Jose Abreu, your hopefully a shortstop or, or a pitcher coming here. Um, yeah. yeah, and just to point out, when you just go back, you know, what you just said about Justin Fields, like, man, what a – what a special, special dude. Like it's crazy. I, I, you know, he's obviously got room to improve a little bit, but um, it's incredible what he's done the last few weeks. And uh, so like, at least you have something fun to watch on Sundays. Like we didn't know if we would have something fun to watch on Sundays. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago I was saying, I don't know about Justin Fields. And then they start designing some run plays for the guy and everything opens up. It's just so awesome. He's doing stuff that Michael Vick wasn't doing in terms of stats. And that's kind of one of the guys from the last 30 years, those dual threat type quarterbacks. Uh, just really, really awesome to see that come together. I'm still a bit of a pessimist when it comes to the Bears. I'm sure this group will find a way to mess this up. But for his sake, he appears to be an incredible talent. And uh, of course, the Bears have that game. You get the touchdown and can't make the extra point. So <laughs> that's the Bears for you right now. Uh, one of these years, maybe they'll get it all together where the offense, the defense, and the special teams is all good at the same time. But we haven't really seen that in our lifetime. No, 06 is the closest thing, I would yeah. say. Yeah, and there were the problems on the offense, uh, but special teams was good. Defense, really, really good. Uh, so we'll see where it goes there. Uh, we will do a emergency pod, whatever you want to call that, if something happens, if the Cubs sign Correa, if they go and get Abreu, if they make a big trade here, we'll jump in with it. Uh, but other than that, we're kind of waiting on some more news here from the Chicago Cubs. And when it breaks, we will have another episode here for you. We're still on Twitter, even though Randall's on the fence a little bit there. You can find us at PTYL Podcast. So give us a follow there, tell a friend, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.